in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot at the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Pray with me this morning. God, I just pray for this time as John comes, um, that you will be with him. Um, I pray for this word that we have just read. God, I just pray that our hearts will be ready and our ears will listen to um, just the wisdom that Pastor John has to share with us this morning. I thank you for this time that we can come and open your word together as a church family. Bless this time. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. It's interesting how the birth announcement has changed over the years, isn't it? It's interesting. Everybody should say, yes, it really is. Like, for real. I've been thinking about that all week. I know. I'm a father of five children, and I remember the excitement I once felt when I was able to see my children for the first time in that hospital room. Once, of course, mom did all the hard work. But when my children were born, I remember calling, I have a list here, all of my parents, my siblings, my friends, and then telling anyone else who would listen on those halls, like they're all having babies, but for some reason they need to hear about mine, that my children were born. I called friends to come and visit like the first two hours of their birth, and my wife just had to get used to it. We had friends coming in as soon as possible. But I just could not help share the news. Some of you are like this. You could not wait to tell others about the exciting news of something in your life or maybe perhaps a birth announcement. It's a big deal. But see, then there are those other people, like my brother. Let me tell you a story about him. He's my younger brother, and he and his wife were blessed with their first daughter, Lucy, just about a month ago. Lucy is their first child. She's actually grandchild number 15, I think. We've lost count. So leading up to this event, you know, everybody knew she was coming. We all had our phones ready. We, we were ready to receive the text, the message, or whatever it was going to be. But nothing came. And then nothing came a little bit longer. And so we were waiting, where is Lucy? What is going on? And then in true brotherly fashion, on November 4th at 8.16, I get this text. Lucy was born this morning, nine pounds. That's it. Lucy was born, nine pounds. Simple, short, to the point. I didn't get a phone call. Like, I called him about every single kid. I have no idea why I expected anything less. This is just exactly who he is. He does not speak much. I think I speak enough for both of us. So, But see, now looking at that text, I'm staring at my phone wondering uh, what Lucy looks like. There were no pictures. Right? What does she look like? Whether she's healthy or not. I have no idea whose ears God had decided to bless her with or whose nose God had decided to curse her with. I'm left to wonder how my sister-in-law is doing. I'm left to wonder how my younger brother is feeling for this first time in his life having a child. So many unanswered questions. Now, we contrast that birth announcement with the one that Sarah just read us from the book of Isaiah. 
how much different are they? We all heard Sarah read to us the most stunning, I'm going to make this claim, I don't think God would say anything less, the most stunning birth announcement of all time. And unlike the vague, short, uninformative birth announcement of my annoying little brother, the verses we just read are descriptive and full and informative about the long-anticipated Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who would pay our ransom to God, the one who would make it possible for us to be at peace with God again. See, this birth announcement was written nearly 700 years before that first Christmas morning. 700 years prior to Christmas morning, this was written. And it reveals to us, just in this prophecy alone, that God is faithful and that he always keeps his promises. So over the next few weeks, we're going to really focus on just verse 6 of that birth announcement in Isaiah. And I'll read it again. Verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to focus on for the next, uh, this week and the next two, just those, uh, that verse. And this is what we call a messianic prophecy, okay? I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a, little bit of a teaching lesson here. Messianic prophecy, meaning it's a, it's a prophetic word. It is a foretelling of the coming Messiah. Messiah means Savior, the Christ, the Savior. So let me stick with the theme of prophecy for a minute. We'll go into that. There are many prophecies about uh, this child throughout the Old Testament, about Jesus Christ. To be a bit more specific, there are roughly 127 prophecies and predictions specifically about the Savior of the world. And those 127 prophecies take up about 3,000 verses in the Bible. 57 of those 127 are about a personal Savior, someone who would come for you and for me. The prophets of old, like Isaiah, Isaiah, spoke about the coming Messiah using specific language. They talked about how glorious he would be, and they also talked about how much he would suffer. So every time we read a prophecy about Jesus in the Bible, you're going to get one or two things. It's going to be about how amazing and full of light and full of power and full of might he's going to be, but then they also contrast it with all of the darkness he will have to live through. You get both in these prophecies. For example, the Old Testament says the Messiah will be described as a conqueror, but also a defeated enemy. The Messiah is prophesied as the one who would bring joy to the world, but also he'll live as a man of sorrows. The Messiah, the Savior, who makes his appearance on Christmas will be known as the King of glory and the King of heaven. But we're also told that there is nothing unique or beautiful about him that any one of us would desire to know him. You could not pick him out of a crowd of regular people back then and say, that's him. He was nothing special. This child king would possess great strength, but he also would embrace human weakness. He's the one who brings life, but also the one who's going to die the ultimate death. He will be the lion from the tribe of Judah, but he would also be a lamb that would be led to the slaughter. Jesus is the judge of the world, the Bible says, judging sinners righteously. And yet, and yet, he is the one who will be unjustly judged by us on the cross. The Bible is full of prophecy from beginning 
to end about the person and the work of Jesus. I need you to know that. Everything that God had revealed to the authors of this Bible for them to write down is about the Savior from the first page to the last page. Today, we're going to focus on just what it means for Jesus to be wonderful counselor. That's the term we're going to focus on. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Those are our next few weeks. We're going to look at those terms and how Jesus fulfills that prophecy. Here's the big idea this morning. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who is himself light, who is himself light to a dark and dying world. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who is himself light to a dark and dying world. And now right away, we must understand that that word counselor, that's what we think of first. We think of those in our day today, maybe sitting here this morning, we think of counselors as those people who are wise and thoughtful, those who are able to support others during difficult times. We all need counselors in our life. All of us need someone to talk to. I know I'm not alone when I say there are times when we all must seek, when I have needed to seek wise and truthful counsel in a dark area of my life. But see, the counselor, as it's described in Isaiah, is wonderful. Now, I'm not saying your counselor isn't wonderful. That's not what I'm saying. Don't tell him that. But this specific word there could also mean miraculous. It could also be used as the word miraculous. So those who lived in darkness, Isaiah says, are to expect someone who is a wonderful and miraculous counselor. People of this world are in need of a wonderful and miraculous counselor, are we not? I'm willing to bet there is very little disagreement among anyone here today that men, women, and children all over the globe act and react in ways that are not always good, moral, or helpful. I am guilty, just so we're all clear. We need, I need, a wonderful counselor. We need someone who can push back the darkness of the human heart. Darkness has covered our world since the first man and woman rebelled against their creator, God. The beginning of your Bible in the book of Genesis, if you don't know that story, you can go back to the beginning and read through and you will see that God had created everything good. And when he was done, he said it was very good. It was very good. Whether you live in North America, Europe, Asia, Africa, it does not matter which continent you live on. The darkness is what defines our world. We also need to know this then about the darkness, is that in the Bible, darkness is described as both evil and ignorance. So when I say darkness, I don't want you to necessarily put your own meaning to it, although it has an individual meaning to each of us. I understand that. Darkness has happened to us. We've been dark towards other people. But when the Bible speaks of darkness, it is describing evil and ignorance. So not only does the human heart default to evil acts, but we're also oblivious about how to make it right. Totally oblivious. We are ignorant about what can actually push back the darkness. I need you to get a sense of how dark the world is and how dark your heart and your life is apart from the person and work of Jesus, apart from his saving work, apart from your faith in him, here you are as described in the Bible. A man named Paul writes this to the church in Rome many years ago. He said, no one is righteous. No one's right. No one's good. No one's holy. No one's righteous. And then he repeats himself, no, not one. Not one of you. No one understands. 
No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Doesn't make you feel very good about yourself. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Here's the the final condemning verse of this little transition is there is no fear of God before their eyes. The world is so dark. And our default veil of darkness is evil acts towards others. And whether you are close to people or far away from people, evil acts towards others. And then we are totally ignorant and oblivious about how to make it right. And we see this at the end of Isaiah chapter 8. So we just read from Isaiah chapter 9. But if you go back one chapter, Isaiah is writing to a people who are living in this darkness. And he gives us a very clear picture of how they were trapped in darkness in their day, and I don't think has changed much in 2,700 years. At the end of chapter 8, we see people seeking mediums, mystics, dark counselors, hoping to make sense of everything that's going on around them. And then at the end of the chapter 8, it says this. This is how it ends. They will look, meaning the people that Isaiah was writing to, they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and dreadful gloom. How's that to be the story of your life? Only distress, darkness, and fearful gloom. And in our day and age, we, in our day and age, we, we don't like our current situation either. And so we live in darkness. We can see it around us. And I need you to know the, the really cool thing about the Bible, not just that it's cool, um, but that it's true and it's perfect and is the perfect word from the only true God is that it is so self-evident about the world around us. The Bible gets your heart and my heart right every single time. Every single time. I see myself and I go, oh, you're right. I'm so wicked. And so we live in darkness as well. The world around us lives in darkness as well. We don't like our current situation much, so we get busy working to solve the problem, just like the people in chapter 8 did in Isaiah. They said, oh, this world is crazy. we got to go figure it out. Maybe the magicians can tell us. Maybe the mystics can tell us. Maybe those who, are, who somehow have a, a tap into the spiritual realm, maybe they can reveal to us what's really happening and how we can fix it. Well, we do the same thing. We look to the state or a powerful nation. Some look to innovation, or even worse, some look to economics. Meaning, if there were just a way for everyone to prosper financially, then the darkness would flee. We'd be fine. Yet darkness prevails. And not only does darkness prevail in our day today, it grows continually more sinister and evil with each passing generation. And so we come to Christmas. We come to the Christmas season. One of the, the season where we actually bring light into the world on purpose. We light up as much as we can, mainly because we live in winterland. But we're like trying to make it right and say, why am I not moved yet? Oh, we can put up Christmas lights and it looks pretty against the snow. <laughs> Some of you have convinced yourself and that's totally fine. But we come to the Christmas season, a time where people are encouraged to be happy and joyful and charitable, all good things. 
great. Here's a gift for you, a gift for you, a gift for you. We're told if we just focus on unity, if we just all focused on peace and unity, the world will find peace with one another. And this is the perfect season to do it, isn't it? In other words, we're told that we and you and I together, that we have the light within ourselves to overcome the rampant poverty, to overcome murder and human trafficking. We're told that if we're just peaceful and unified with one another, we actually have the power to bring light to the darkness of abusive men and caustic women, disobedient children, injustice, death. We're told that. Just be happy and joyful. Give someone a gift. It's going to make the world a better place. We spend what seems like countless hours of attempting to bring light to these dark realities each and every day. That's what we do. That's what keeps us busy. And there lies the unique problem that we find ourselves in. And that is this, that nothing we can do within ourselves can fix or light up a dark and dying world. There's nothing. There's nothing we can do. There was a book I was reading about Christmas, and this um, quote is in the book. It's called Hidden Christmas, and it says, Neither capitalism or socialism will in itself solve the greatest human problems. This was written a long time ago. Science, unguided by moral principles, resulted in the Holocaust. Neither technology nor the state nor the market alone will save us from nuclear conflict. It won't save us from ethnic violence, and it will not save us from environmental degradation. The pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself. Nor is democracy alone enough. Only to a turning to and a seeking of God is needed. Only a turning to and seeking of God is needed. And he ends with this. The human race constantly forgets that they are not God. The human race constantly forgets that they are not God. Only a seeking of God and his wise counsel has the power to push back the darkness individually in your hearts and minds, which then would go out to the world around us in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families. Let the record show that all of mankind, all of what mankind has accomplished throughout history has yet to push back the darkness completely. We have not won the battle. In fact, I would argue we've made it worse. We've masked the real problem. And so then with each passing generation, we only grow more wicked. Each generation that passes, we will find more deep and dark ways to live out our deepest and darkest desires. It's only getting worse. And this is why this Christmas birth announcement, although 700 years prior to Jesus, gave people hope, didn't it? It gave people hope. Listen, we say this a lot at this church. People haven't changed. We just have iPhones now. That's it, right? So Isaiah chapter 8, people and us, we are the same. We're the same. No, not Android. Apple. Ah, I know how many Android users we got. That was revealing. Okay. But you see, this is why the birth announcement is so important. And this is why it is eternally important. Eternally important. 
Because neither you or we collectively can provide what is needed to, the, to, to first reveal the darkness for what it really is and then bring light into the darkness and then cover it with light. Have the light push it back. Only, only, friends, a wonderful and miraculous counselor, one who is mighty and holy and righteous and loving and humble can provide what is needed for mankind to turn from our darkness and then embrace light. That's it. We need this wonderful counselor in our lives. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he spent about three years doing miracles, teaching people. The Bible calls that his public ministry. So he grew up in favor with God and with man after that first Christmas morning. And, and then around 30 years old, they think, that he started to call people, you know, and, and he gets baptized himself. And then he calls some disciples, and they go out, and he displays the power of God. Through the miracles that he performed, through the words that he spoke, he spoke with such an authority. No one had ever heard anybody speak with such authority. He says this in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book of your New Testament, chapter 8. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The baby born on Christmas morning, holds the power to bring light into a dark and dying world. A simple baby, totally dependent on his parents. God humbled himself and became a baby to live as you of I have lived, to suffer like you and I suffer, to be betrayed as you of I have been betrayed, and then to shoulder our sentence on the cross so we may walk in his light. The metaphor of light is nothing new to those who encountered Jesus. He said a lot about light. In fact, if you read through the, the Gospel of John, which I do recommend, you will see the themes of light and dark over and over and over again. Light was not a new metaphor to anybody who encountered Jesus. Many would have been aware of the many uses, in fact, in the Old Testament. See, if you're in the New Testament and you're like in a story, what, you, what your current Bible is is our current Old Testament, the Scriptures. That's what they had. I could use, take us to some 30 different references to the term of light being used for God throughout the Old Testament. They're everywhere, but I'll just select one. I'll give you one glimpse of how Jesus fulfills being light just as God was light for his people in the Old Testament. There is one of a, a story that tells of God guiding his people as a pillar of fire, a pillar of light. Exodus 13, that's way back on your left side, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible. Tells a story when God's people were freed from the Egyptian slave masters. You guys know that really old show, well, Charlton Huston, he stands up in the Red Sea parts, right? That's the story we're talking about. That God's people were freed from their Egyptian slave masters, and he had led them around the way by the wilderness, which would eventually lead them to the shores of the famous Red Sea. So God frees them from Egyptian slavery. He's going to take them to a land where they can worship him. And so they traveled by night and by day. And because they were traveling by night and by day through a wilderness, the Lord, the Bible says, went before them in a cloud by the day so they knew where they were going in a pillar of fire by night. So they'd always know where to go. They'd always know which direction to walk in. They'd always know who to look to. Church, God has always been a light for his people to follow. He has always been a light for his people to follow. 
From the moment darkness crashed into our world, God has provided a way for his people to follow his light, which leads to life. And now, now let me bring you back to Exodus. The pillar of fire doesn't hang around forever, does it? We, we don't worship and sing to, and Nathaniel doesn't lead prayer into a pillar of fire. That's not who we're worshiping. We're not singing songs to a pillar of fire. I'm not preaching and everything's focused on the pillar of fire. Because you see, Exodus was given to us so we could see how God, as a pillar of fire, points us to the light that would never be extinguished, a light that would never go out. The New Testament says the things in the Old Testament were given to you as examples, as things to, to point you to the real ultimate thing that's coming, the person of Jesus. Just as God revealed himself as a pillar of fire all those years ago to his people and gave them hope and strength and joy that he was with them and he was leading them and they could turn away from their darkness in Egypt and go and worship him in truth and in spirit, we read about the birth of Jesus Christ. The light of the world had come down in the flesh. He'd come as a baby. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And by claiming this, by claiming to be the light of the world, Jesus was claiming to be God. The same God was in the pillar of fire. That's why we call our God a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. By claiming to be the light of the world, Jesus was claiming to be God, the Messiah, the Savior that the people had been hoping for. He is claiming to be the baby who was going to be born in Isaiah 9. You see, Jesus alone brings light. He alone brings the light of salvation to a dark and sin-cursed world. To what is false, he is the light of truth. To the darkness of our ignorance, Jesus is the light of wisdom. To the darkness of our sin, he is the light of holiness. To the darkness of our sorrow that we experience so often, he is the light of our joy. Maybe ultimately for all of us, to the darkness of the death that we fear, he is the light of life. Many of us here today, we are trapped in darkness. Now, whether you're a Christian or maybe not here this morning, there's always a place for you here. But whether you are a Christian, saved by God, and dwelled with his spirit, or you are not, we both live in darkness in different ways. But there are times when we're all trapped in deep darkness. I would say if you are without the saving knowledge and saving faith of Jesus Christ, you're in a deep darkness. Those who do not know Jesus Christ love what is false and they hate what is true. We live in ignorance about God and we worship ourselves. We suffer in silence and sorrowful, rejecting the joy that the Lord can bring. We live scared. We live scared, and we will do anything ourselves to convince we're not scared. See, you know how some of you all do this? You actually go Christmas shopping for people, but all you do is shop for yourself. Whatever you can do in your life to mask the pain that you think is about to happen, you will mask it. We live scared because we know the trajectory of our life is aimed at God's judgment in hell. 
When? When we could be living satisfied, walking in the light as he leads us to heaven. Friends, we live scared. People all around us live scared of the darkness. Remember, we default to darkness, but we also are totally oblivious of how to make it right. So just like the earlier stories I read, we do all that we can within our own power to mask the darkness. And we only make it worse. We're never getting to the root of the problem. There's a powerful verse in the letter of John, or the book of John, same one I read for in, verse, in the first chapter. And it says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness have not overcome it. If you are here walking in darkness, if you are here walking in darkness, you need to know that Jesus is the light that shines into darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Bible says that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the name of Jesus is the most powerful name on the planet. And Satan and his legions and all of his peoples and all of those weird spirits and all of your most inner, deepest, darkest, nastiest desires in your heart will never overcome the light. He is the light of the world. And the darkness will never overcome it. For all of us who are stuck back in Isaiah chapter 8, wondering how to make everything right, seeking out mediums and mystics, and we, we do these for a lot of false religions. Can I tell you, this isn't even here, so I'm going to take a risk and step out. Remember, when I go away from my notes, you guys get nervous. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> okay. See, I filtered out all the bad stuff on Wednesday. That means I'm not going to say anything dumb. That's my point. I need you to know that this is not like one option in the world. Every other religion on the planet that has ever been created has been created by men and women scared of the darkness and not knowing the true light. And they are wrong and they are false and they're demonic because they lead people astray. Every other word from God is false except for the ones contained in here. God has not spoken after he spoke of this. He doesn't reveal himself in other ways today. This is it. Now, that's a big conversation. Some of you may have questions, which is great because there's a card in front of you and you can ask me because we'll do a, answer and question, a question and answer service on the 30th. But we, like, you need to know at this church, we are totally committed that this Bible is sufficient for all things in salvation, that it is true, that it is accurate, it is without error, and it is the perfect, true word of God. For all of us who are stuck in Isaiah chapter 8, searching, wondering, inquiring in mediums and mystics and all this weird stuff that we can do to figure out what's wrong with the world, we hope to make sense of it all. We hope to find the magic key to escape the darkness of our heart. I need you to know the light of the world has come, and that is Christmas. That is Christmas. The light of the world has come, and the darkness has not and will not ever overcome it. There's a new way to live. There's a new life waiting for you to follow, which is the light of life. And what is required of you is this. If you desire to leave the darkness behind, and if you desire to follow Jesus as he is light, leading you to true, everlasting, hopeful, joyful life, here's what is required of you. Unlike people in Isaiah chapter 8 and other people who encountered Jesus back then and still today, you must humbly bow your knee to him. You must humbly bow your knee to Jesus and make them the Lord of your life. He is your king. 
He is your God. You're basically saying, I am not going to act as God myself and make all these decisions on my own. I'm going to walk after him. He is going to be not only my Savior, but my Lord and my King. You're going to say, I no longer follow the prince of this world. I no longer follow the prince of darkness. No longer will that man have power over me. I'm walking in the light. The king who was born on Christmas Day, that's the one we're going to follow. That's the one this church will follow, and that's the one I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, to give your life to, to follow. Can I help when I was writing this uh, sermon that there was a great portion of scripture in a letter called Ephesians? So it's in your New Testament. It's a letter written to the church in Ephesus. And it says this when speaking about the freedom of walking in the light. It says this, Paul is writing to this church, and he said, for at one time you were darkness. He's writing to this church. Amen, right? City gate, at one time we were darkness. You see, no one here sitting here this morning like earned God's love, deserved God's love. Nobody was that amazing that God said, I can't wait for that person to be on my team. That doesn't happen in Christianity. That is, that is a lie. The people sitting here around you and the people who will be sitting at the 1045 didn't earn a thing. It was by God's good grace that he called us out of our darkness. Apart from the grace of God, I'm still trapped in my darkness. But the Spirit of God made me alive. He opened my eyes and my heart for me to even follow, to figure out where the delight was going. And so he says, for at one time, you were darkness. At one time, anybody who calls himself a Christian was walking in darkness. But, best word in the Bible, (laughs) but now you are Light in the Lord. So he says, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. It goes on to say, awake, awake, wake up, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Wake up. Wake up. Those who are in darkness, and Christ will shine in you. Praise God, he has made it possible for his people who lived in a land of deep darkness to follow the light. So the birth announcement of Jesus Christ reveals to us a lot. And there's a lot in in the Bible about the birth announcement of the baby born on Christmas. But maybe what it reveals at its foundation the most is the light of the world has come down to rescue us. At one time we walked in darkness, but now the light of life has come. So let me end with this. If Jesus, then, is the wonderful, miraculous counselor, if he is, and if he's the one who makes it possible to walk in the light, who makes it possible to push back the darkness, and he is, that's what we believe, then we must submit our lives to him and walk in the light as he is in the light. And I'm going to give you one way to do that. One way today. Number one, you need to fill your mind with Scripture. I just got done telling you that this is the perfect word of God. The Bible is, it's not only beautiful, it is true, it is accurate, it is life-giving. You cannot live on bread alone, but, that, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119, it's like a, a poem. It's one of the longest psalms in the Bible. It says, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So if you want to walk in the light, You have to get to know the one who is the light, and that's through the Bible. 
I cannot think of a better time of the year to start a habit of reading the Bible. And some of you are like, whoa, I don't know what to do. It's big. There's weird names. I know. I know. I get it. The Bible is written by 40 different authors. There's what we call 66 books total or letters. 40 different authors, and it was written over a span of about 1,600 years, and all of it points to the light of the world, every single bit of it. So you, as a church, you're going to open 1 John, not the Gospel of John, 1 John, towards the back, way over here in the skinny part, okay? If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. You've got to go back to the left, and I would say you put your timer on your phone for 17 minutes. I can do it in 18. You guys are smarter than me. 17 minutes and read through the letter of 1 John every day for the rest of the month. Do it. I challenge you to do it. So the way I get myself acquainted with the Bible is I will take a book of the Bible and I'll read the same book of the Bible for a month every single day. Now, if it's like a gospel, which takes a few hours, I chop it up. I'm a slow reader. But I cannot stress this enough, that there, there is nothing coming from the outside. We know the Spirit of God enlightens us and helps us walk in the light, but there is nothing else coming. God has revealed himself. He has shown himself true in his word. So fill your mind with scripture, and I will tell you right now, short of a guarantee, I will tell you the darkness will flee, and you will walk in the light. This is my last thing I'm going to say. Corinthians 10.5 is a verse that I really enjoy. It's, it's kind of a, a verse that's the foundation of my life. It says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought in your mind, everything that you want to do and make it captive to Christ. He controls it. Every thought, every intention. When the darkness wells up, he's going to take it captive. That's why the scripture, which reveals the baby, talked about in Isaiah, born on Christmas morning, who is the wonderful, miraculous counselor, can and will be the light of your life. Amen? Church, let's pray.